If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to break down the 124th edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry is my longtime co-host, Curtis. And guys, I promise you, we are going to get to uh, this weekend's game against Auburn. That's where our, our mind is. For the most part. But before we break down this game, I do want to at least briefly touch on the college football playoff rankings that were released on Tuesday night. That obviously, as you guys all well know, had our Georgia Bulldogs coming in at number four this week. We went up two spots. And look, as we know, these rankings right now, they don't really matter all that much as long as you like are in the conversation. And we are. But those rankings, man, they have people all over the country, especially in that state on our western border, all sorts of worked up, primarily because we were ranked at number four at the expense of the mighty Alabama Crimson Tide, who dropped to number five after their home loss to LSU last weekend. And look, the argument is very simple. It goes like this. Alabama and Georgia both have one loss. Each team lost at home. Georgia's loss was to a four and six South Carolina team in double overtime, which was worse than Alabama's loss to now number one LSU. Therefore, Alabama should be ranked ahead of Georgia. And uh, if two wasn't 100%, so that game shouldn't count anyway, right? So, Kurt, obviously you are a Georgia guy, like like me. But objectively, what sh- like should we be ranked ahead of Alabama right now at this point in the season? Um, I mean, to me it really doesn't matter because, like you mentioned, it all play out. But the one thing that really sticks out to me is Bama wants to really drill the loss to South Carolina. But right now that's one of their best wins. So it's almost like it's working against them. And they're like, oh, you lost to this crappy South Carolina team. Well, that's one of your two best wins right now, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, the message the committee is sending here is that who you beat matters more than who you lost. Yeah, to. and it's really showing that Saban's going to have to step it up. Like Saban will try to say, oh, we're playing a, a, a good team, a power five team the first game of the year. Playing Duke doesn't matter to the eyes of the committee, and, and that's what it's really starting to show. Yeah, I've He's going to have to step up his scheduling. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've heard some Alabama fans say over the past day or two here, that, oh, how are we, it's not our fault that Duke wasn't good. How are we supposed to know Duke wasn't going to be good? I'm like, because it's freaking Duke. Duke's like, never been really, like, in the top 20 in the last, what, 10 years? Like, you would have been lucky if they were good. Like, I mean, come on. Like, I know they've been a little bit better in a cut club, but it's freaking Duke. And, like, oh, my God, how, how are we supposed to know they weren't going to be good? How, how are we, why are we being punished for that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, if you have a chance to schedule Notre Dame, like, schedule a team like that, and maybe not Duke. Uh, so, and like, I know that situation, like they were supposed to play Miami originally and Miami had some, had, had some issues, had to back out. And so they were stuck with Duke. I get all that, but still like. Play UCF, they were begging people. They would have gotten more respect for beating them than they would. Oh, UCF would have loved to play them. Absolutely. Yeah. They would have gotten more respect for that. No doubt. So look, I mean, to me, it's just very simple. The committee is uh, placing a premium on who you would beat. And, and we've kind of seen that over the past couple of years. I'm no fan of college football playoff committee. I made that clear as I think they're very inconsistent in how they rank teams. I'd be like, if you look at last week, all right, so they they had Penn State uh, ahead of Clemson, right? Because what the, what their line was, well, Penn State had had beaten better teams than Clemson had beat, right? Even though Clemson's been more dominant for the most part throughout the year. Well, to me, I, I, that made no sense to me because if that was the case, if, if if Penn State was ahead of Clemson solely because Penn State had better wins than Clemson, well, Penn State had better wins last week than Bama had. So they by that same logic, they should have had a had a Bama, right, Kurt? Uh, according to that logic, yes. Yeah, and then also uh, same logic. Well, if it's all about who you beat, then LSU should have already been ahead of Ohio State last week. So it's like week to week, team to team. They just pick and choose what criteria they want to use and, and what argument they want to make. Uh, and just happened to be this week the argument and the criteria worked in our favor. But again, it doesn't really matter this week. I'm sure next week there'll be something. I mean, we'll probably lose this week, so it'll be all for not anyway. But I'm sure next week something will work against us. It, it, it's whatever. But uh yeah, it's just it, – it, I find it hilarious. I mean, I know Bama. It's the mighty Bama. Of course, they, they should be number four, of course. But, like, the argument that, well, 
our loss is better than your loss. I don't think it's about that. It's about more about who you've beaten. And right now, Bama just like the, the fact is, and, and they can slice any way they want, they do not have any good wins. Like the best win they have is probably a at AM, and that's a it's a solid win, but like that's the best win you have. So I don't, you know, whatever. I'm I'm good with it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be all torn up either way if we were five i'd be like okay yeah that kind of makes sense i'm fine with that but if we're four that also makes sense to me i think you can make an argument either way but uh anyway let's go ahead and let's move into the conversation about the auburn tigers the game we've got this week on the plains uh, and it seems like we keep saying this about each of these games down the stretch run but this guys boys and girls this is a big one Outside that glaring exception at Auburn in 2017 when the wheels just came off, we all know how that went down, Kirby has had a lot of success against Gus Malzahn as a head coach, going 3-1 and one and outgaining the Tigers by a total of 583 yards and beating the mind average score of 23-8 to eight in his three victories over the Tigers. But this is a different season. This is two different teams. I'm a firm believer that what happened in the past has no bearing on the present on this particular game. I, I'm one of those guys I hate when people say, oh, well, Georgia has won three last four, so they just have Auburn's number. That kind of thing drives me nuts. Uh, that's just, to me, and it's just a personal thing, uh, it's just lazy and irrelevant because these are different teams with different players. So our goal today is to get you guys ready for this game between these two teams. So, Kurt, this is uh, – honestly, man, this is the part of the week where the nerves start to kick in for me. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday night, and I feel it all coming on now. It's all coming on. The nerves are definitely kicking in. Uh, even though I, I just said that the past the past, and that should have no bearing on this game, I keep seeing visions of that 2017 game at Jordan here, but it's, it's one of those weird dichotomies where like intellectually in my head, I feel pretty strongly that we are the better team, but I just cannot escape that kind of sinking feeling right now. that This is, this is just not going to end well. So how nervous, let me just ask you this question first. How nervous are you going into this game? Oh, extremely nervous. You have to be right. Like, I mean, I, I, like, are you with me that you feel like if you look at these two teams, do you feel like we are like on a neutral site? The better football team? Oh, yeah. If you're on a neutral side, 100%, I don't think it's a question. Yeah, but but it's like – and I know I, I, I just said the past of the past, and it shouldn't have been bigger on this game. But, like, as a fan, it's like I can't I can't get my mind off of what happened in 2017. You and I were both there at that game, and that sucked. Um, and it's just – like, and we've been there, and I've been there, and we've won before. So, I, like, I know we can win there. It's just, man, I'm kind of, I guess, shell-shocked after that last experience – uh, up there, uh, over there at Auburn. So I don't know, I, I'm definitely with you. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Uh, I think we can win. I'm not saying we can. It's just, uh, man, there's a, lot, there's a lot, lot at stake here. So my nerves are um, off the charts right now. But let's get into like actually breaking down these matchups, Kurt. We're going to start like we always do with the opponent's offense versus our defense. And let's kind of open with a big picture look at this Auburn offense. So, Kurt, in general, how would you rate this Auburn offense to this point in the season? Um. They may be the only offense that's probably struggling more than us consistently. Really? When I mean yeah. the only offense, the only team of like our caliber that's struggling that much, right? Yeah, that that's had such high hopes. Yeah, because you I mean you got Arkansas teams like Vanderbilt, they suck. But like I get what you're saying, like that are at least on on the same relative level that's struggling but still getting by and winning a lot of football games. Uh, yeah, they, they, this has been the weak point. The, the I mean, the defense has been good. Their defense hasn't been elite. We'll get to that in a minute, but they've been really good. The offense has just been, again, I think kind of like our offense, up and down. They've had moments where they're really good, but they've also had moments where they are just struggling to do anything. Uh, you look at that game against Ole Miss they played a couple weeks ago uh, before their bye week, and uh, they like, they struggled to put points to the board. They, they drove up and down the field. Bo Nix was thrown all over the place, but – they just, I think mean, they only put up 20 points in that game. So it's been up and down for them. They're fifth in the league right now and 50th nationally in total offense, averaging 425 a game. So not bad, but not great either. Pretty average, uh, maybe slightly above average. They're 70th nationally, which is almost perfectly average in yards per play, only averaging 5.81 yards per play. They're fifth in the SEC in scoring offense, averaging 32.7 points per game. And Kurt, like it's been well documented that Gus Malzahn, he's the guy, he's back to calling the plays for Auburn. And make no mistake about it, he's a run-heavy coach. A lot of people associate him with the kind of fun-and-gun spread offenses. And, and sure, he operates out of spread looks. We've talked about this before, but his version of the spread is definitively not a pass-happy version of the spread. He wants to run the football and run it some more. They are running the football 61% of the time this season. That's more than us, guys. They actually run the football more than we do right now. And you guys watch every game just like us. We run the football a lot. Uh, but they usually have a ton of success running the football under Gus. And it makes sense why they run the ball that much. Now, last year was the obvious exception, although he was not calling plays last year. And, and the crazy thing about it is 
outside of maybe carry on Johnson, they've had all the success over the years under Gus Malzahn's offense, but outside of maybe carry on Johnson, he's consistently been able to do it without like truly elite talent at the running back position. So Kurt, what is it about Gus Malzahn's scheme that allows them to run the football so effectively? The window dressing. I mean, they they owe it. Like Georgia, our biggest problem when when we run the ball for a majority of the time is a numbers game. Yeah, and you can't do that against Auburn. It's very difficult. That's right, because I mean, because they run a power offense, a power a power running attack out of spread sets when it clears out the box. And you're right, you mentioned the window dressing. That's one of the things that makes it difficult to defend is because your eyes are in so many different places. And without eye discipline, you can you can create that they create seams where running backs can just bust one, uh, whether it's it's between the tackles, whether it's on the edges. They do a lot of different things. They and one thing I think that Gus Malzahn does a really good job doing is I think that he does a great job with constraints. He has a couple, like I'm talking like a, like a handful, like four or five base plays. They just run over and over and over again. But he has a couple of constraints each game off of those plays. And it's different from game to game. There's some constraints he'll run, you know, each game. But he usually has something different for each team from a game plan perspective. Some of the team hasn't seen, especially when they're coming off a of bye week, which is one of the reasons they've been so effective under Gus coming off of buys. But um, yeah, it, that's that's what they do. I mean, they operate a downhill power rushing attack out of those spread looks, and they attack horizontally and vertically enough in the passing game that it makes it like you just said, Curse. It makes it difficult, really difficult, to outnumber them in the box against the run. And then when you throw in a mobile quarterback that's a, that's a threat in the run game, they gain an extra blocker and actually operate with the numbers advantage in the box. Not only are they even, they a lot of times are if they have that mobile quarterback are able to operate with the numbers advantage in the box, which makes them really, really difficult to deal with. I mean, right now they're third in the SEC and 22nd nationally in rushing offense, averaging 219 yards a game. They're not especially efficient on the ground. Uh, They're seventh in the SEC, only averaging 4.92 yards a rush. They run it a lot, but maybe not as efficiently as you would think. Um, They have shown the ability to be explosive on the ground, though. They're actually second in the SEC in rushes of 30 plus yards. So maybe not as efficient down to down, but what they do when they attack between the tackles and then they have the constraints off it on the edges, they do create some of those big play opportunities in their run game. So, Kurt, I guess my next question here about the run game is, so that's what they want to do in the run game. Do they have the pieces to make that scheme work this year? Um, they have for the most part. Um, I mean, they're not dominant in any one position really on the in the on the entire offense. But like you said, they're so good at piecing everything together. Yeah, and like when you look at Bo Nix, I think of, and I've I've been on record saying this for many years now. Uh, my one claim to fame on this show is what the, I forget what year it was, man. I was talking to one of my buddies about that this week. Um, it was the um, Jeremy was it Jeremy John? What's his name? Um, yeah, Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy Johnson. Here you go, Jeremy Johnson. That year, when everyone was giving him all the Heisman hype coming to the year, and they were going to win the national title, I was like, Nah, he's actually not that good. Um, and he doesn't really fit what Gus wants to do. I predicted him to be six and six overall and two and six in the league. And by God, they were six and six and two and six in the league at the end of the day. That's like my one ever claim to fame. It's like the one time I actually got something right. Um, it's, and I, I only bring that up because like I just know I, I I have a good feel for what Auburn wants to do when they have that quarterback, a Cam Newton or a Nick Marshall. They're really dangerous when they don't have that. Whether it's a Jarrett Stidham or Jeremy Johnson then they struggle a little bit. They have to do things differently. And that's not what Gus is built to do. That's why their offense struggled so much last year. The, two years ago, they had on Johnson, who's probably the best running back they've had under Gus Malzahn. So their offense was more effective. Without on last year, they were not built to do anything because they did not have the quarterback that could run Gus Malzahn's system. So when you got Bo Nix, Curse, let me ask you, where does Bo Nix fit on that on that spectrum of quarterbacks? Whether you got Cam Newton on one, which is the perfect fit for Gus Malzahn, and you got – Jarrett, sit him on the other end. Where does Nick's fit into that equation? He's somewhere in the middle where he's mobile enough to keep you honest, where he can extend the drive. He's like Ian Book, but a little bit more athletic. Yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. A little bit more athletic version of Ian Book. Uh, he's definitely not going to be confused with guys like Nick Marshall or Cam Newton as a true runner, but he's also far more capable than a guy like Jarrett Sims. So I think you're right in the middle there. Right now, Nick's got 214 yards rushing on the year, 3.1 yards carry, five touchdowns. I actually expected him to be more effective as a runner. I thought they would run him more than they have because he is a, he does have athleticism. He does have speed, not Marshall or Newton's speed, but speed. But he ha- hasn't been a major focal point in the run game. Now, they will unleash him at times, and they will they will call plays designed for him in the run game, but maybe not to the degree they have with some quarterbacks from years past. When you look at what they've got bes- outside of Knicks, at the running back position especially, Jartavius Whitlow, is the he was the guy. Now, he's been dealing with some injuries coming into this game. Do you expect him to be healthy and ready to play in this game, Kurt? Um, maybe to start the game, but once he starts taking hits, it's going to be hard. 
it's just tough to know. And it's weird. Like a couple of weeks ago at LSU, like he didn't play much, but he came in like on the goal line in situations as a wildcat quarterback. Um, that's all he played though. It's like, wow, if he could take those hits, could he not like play full time? I mean, it's, it was weird. It's just a weird situation. I'm expecting him to play. We'll see. You're right. If he if he comes out there with um, and he takes a couple shots, like how much he's gonna stay out there, I don't know. Let's say he was healthy though, Curtis. What? How good is Whitlow? Is he actually like a a legit top level SEC running back? No, not at all. But he's very very serviceable. Yeah, I mean, he kind of fits the profile of what most Auburn running backs have been outside of Carryon Johnson. I mean, he's a guy who's maybe not the most explosive running back, but he's he's good and tough between the tackles, can pick up some tough yards and set up those constraints with guys like Anthony Schwartz around the edge. I mean, right now, I mean, he's missed a couple games this year. He's got 553 yards on the year, only 4.9 yards to carry, and that's the thing. He's not an explosive running back. He's got one touchdown on the year. He's good, physical, and tough, but he's not necessarily explosive. That's not who he is. Now, the guy who's been filling in for him the past couple weeks is DJ Williams, a guy that I actually thought was uh, a pretty good running back coming out of high, out of high school. Uh, we were recruiting him for a little while. Uh, we ended up with uh, with Kenny McIntosh over Williams. But he's had a, he's done a good job, but he's very, like, to me, Kurt, don't you see a lot of similarities between Williams and Whitlow? Uh, yeah, there are. Yeah, I mean, they're almost – I don't want to say the same back. Williams is a little bit bigger. Whitlow's maybe a little bit more elusive in space. But there's a lot of similarities. I think they're both good, solid, physical backs from the tackles, but I don't see either one of them as explosive options on the backfield. Williams got 303 yards on the season, 5.5 yards a carry. A couple guys that are maybe a little bit more of home run threats, but not a feature part of the offense. Cam Martin, Sean Shivers. Shivers is a, is a track kind of guy, really small dude. That Gus Miles always seems to find those kind of guys. He's got 214 yards in the year, can be a big home run throughout the backfield. Cam Martin, kind of in the same vein. Um, but so that, that's kind of what they're working with there. So, Kurt, we've been really good against the run. It's what our defense does best right now as we sit fourth nationally in rushing defense, only giving up 72 yards a game. But running the ball is also what Auburn does best on offense. And it's what they want to do. Like I told you, 61% of the time they run the football. So how effective do you expect us to be in defending the Auburn rushing attack on Saturday? Um, it's going to be very similar to how we were against Notre Dame. I think we're going to have to attack them the same way. Um, but I, like, I just still don't think – I mean, this is an Auburn team that struggled mightily to run against Florida. Yeah, against a um, that's so, solid, but not near as good as we are. Exactly, and I think that's the thing. Um, against LSU, they struggle for the most part. Running, they hit the one big run against against either team, and that's really what they. Especially against LSU, I think DJ Williams broke one. Um, there's a it was a well designed play. They got again. It, it was all eye discipline. Jacoby Stevens. I was actually watching again last night. Jacoby Stevens, the safety, is coming run support, and his eyes were following the motion to the opposite side of the field. And DJ Williams hits a crease. There's absolutely no one there. And it wasn't that Williams was as fast. He actually got caught from behind. He should have easily scored a touchdown. But it's just the way that Gus schemes it up with, like you mentioned earlier, all the the window dressing that messes with your eyes, and uh, they create big plays that way. But they're not they're not explosive. Um, they're really not. But I, I if, if those teams. We're able to have some success against them. We should too, right? I mean, you would like to think so. Yeah, I, I would certainly like to think so. And I, I think our offensive, our their offensive line is they're playing better than they were last year. But that's all relative. Last year they were very, very bad. But I still think our defensive line, while it might not be an elite defensive line, and our front seven, our front six, however we're going to play that, I really like our chances against that Auburn offensive line. So yeah, I, I like our ability. To, to be able to hold their run game in check. And if we are able to do that, I think that's going to be a major key in this game. And before we move on with this discussion, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Vivid Seats. I told you guys last week, I picked up a pair of tickets for this week's game on the Plains against the Auburn Tigers at Vivid Seats. It was an incredibly easy process. I found the perfect tickets in the exact spot in the stadium I was looking for. I want to make sure I'm sitting around all the Georgia fans. I don't want to see any of that orange and blue, at least any more than I have to. I don't want to be around them in the in the game. So I found the spot I was looking for at, exa- at the exact price point that I was looking for. So it was a great process. I felt completely secure throughout the entire process because they have a 100% buyer guarantee. And right now they're offering a Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program where you get to earn credit back for every single ticket purchase you make. All you have to do is go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, and fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. And then once it's time to buy, all you have to do is enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, let's move on to the next part of the offensive equation for the Auburn Tigers. 
They run the ball fairly well. We just went over that. They're committed to it. But the other side of the equation is where they have some issues this season. They are really struggling to find any sort of consistency in the passing game. They're 10th in the SEC in passing offense, only 205 yards a game, 10th in completion percentage, 9th in yards per attempt, only averaging 7.2 yards per attempt. So, Kurt, how do you explain the issues that Auburn has had through the air this season offensively? Um, I think it's a little bit of actually a lot of inexperience, especially on the wide receivers, to match along with inexperience in the quarterback position. Yeah, like you mentioned, I want to talk about the quarterback for a second here. Bo Nix, I know he's a true freshman. Is this guy at this point in his career? Like, I know that they they beat they beat Oregon in in some miracle fashion. I'm still not sure how that went. I, I watched that game a couple of times, ready for this game, and I just I still can't quite figure out how they won that game. You got a nice win at Texas A and M, but is Bo Nix like is is he like even an upper level type quarterback in the SEC right now, like a top half of the league type quarterback, or is he in that no bottom? not right now? I mean, one of his biggest things is he is not good at reading defenses, and most true freshmen aren't. Um, but you're right. Like, and I, so I think part of this is like he didn't do much of that at all in high school. He operated a system that's very similar to what Malazan does, which is basically simplify the passing game for the quarterback. So it should be an easy transition. But when he's asked to read defenses, it's something that he struggles with when the run game is not going. And the run game has been good at times. They've also been they've been stifled at other times as well. Uh, but if you look at the numbers of Bo Nix, he's 11th in the SEC in total QBR behind three other freshman league guys. He's 11th in the SEC out of 14 teams in total QBR behind uh, the, the other freshman he's behind, he's behind Garrett Schrader at Mississippi State, uh, John Rice Plumley at, at Ole Miss, and Ryan Helinski at South Carolina. So even among – like he's like the fourth best – statistically like the fourth best freshman quarterback in the league. He's not even the best freshman quarterback in the league. He's 11th among starting quarterbacks in completion percentage. He's tied for second most – and that's starting quarterbacks in the SEC. He's tied for second most interceptions among starting starting quarterbacks in the SEC. He's, he completed under 50% of his passes against every single good defense he's faced. Against Oregon – he completed 41.9% of his passes, and they're ranked 22nd nationally in total defense. Florida, who's ranked 26th nationally in total defense, he completed 40.7% of his passes. LSU is 23rd nationally. He only completed 42.9% of his passes. And in those three games against the best defenses he's faced, he has four touchdowns and six interceptions. In fact, there's only three games on the year he has thrown for over 200 yards. Um, and those were against the Mississippi schools and Tulane and barely over two. I mean, it was 207 against Tulane. Uh, and by the way, yeah, it goes for over 200 yards. And some, I, I think actually over 300 yards in both those games against the Mississippi schools. But those schools were 11th and dead last in the league in passing defense. So not exactly feasting on good defenses there. And all of that would be fine if he was making teams pay with his legs and adding value there. But he's not really doing that consistently he's not rushed for more than 56 yards in a game in any single game and he's rushed for 21 yards or less in six of nine games i think it's one of the reasons they're having some issues in the passing game. obviously he's a freshman but like i said earlier malazan when they have their running game going it makes the reads easier because teams have to dedicate so much to stopping the run that they basically have very simple man coverage reads, like single guy reads. And it's, it's a very simple pass for them to complete if you have any sort of competency. But they're not running the ball as well as they have typically under Gus Malzahn. So teams are able to play coverage a little bit more, and right now he's just not equipped to really handle that. But when they do throw the football, what does this Auburn offense like to do in the pass game? Um, well, I mean, first off, I think you got to consider the shovel pass a big pass um, big weapon in their offense right now because that's one of the things they like to do the most with Anthony Schwartz. Yep. But outside that, one of their bi- yeah. yeah, one of their biggest things is they like to honestly they they don't Auburn for so many years with their numbers games they would just throw the deep ball because you'd have one safety deep and they try to you know just beat you there. But that's not the case this year, especially with the quarterback playing everything like that. So they're more of a team that's going to try to throw intermediate routes. Yeah, you're right. For a lot of years, that's what, they, that's what their offense was built on. So they want to establish a run game and then take play action shots down the field off that. They usually have one big physical wide receiver that's going to go up and make plays, uh, usually a speedy guy somewhere that can maybe get behind the defense, and they just take shots on the field and hit a couple of them here and there when you got man coverage. you got 50-50 shot, right? And those guys this year, you got Seth Williams, who's their number one receiver right now. He's a good receiver, guys. He really is. He's got 35 catches for 569 yards in the year, averaging 16.3 yards per play. So they're still getting it. Still hitting some big plays in the passing game with Seth Williams. Got eight touchdowns on the year. He is their go-to guy in the passing game. Anthony Schwartz is the Mr. Track guy. He's got, I think he was clocked at one point at a 10 flat, 100 meters, somewhere around there. He's like Olympic caliber sprinter 
at some point if he wants to go that direction. He's got 23 catches on the year for 305 yards, only one touchdown. They do get him involved in the run game at times, but those are the two guys. They have a couple other pieces, but those are the two lead receivers, and those are guys they want to get the ball to. Those are their playmakers in the passing game. One thing I would also say, you mentioned like a little pop pass. Um, they are big. They are heavy on the screen game. It's a very, very diverse screen game. Now, they dialed some of that back this year without Ryan Davis because he was, an, he was a screen guy extraordinaire the past couple years. That's basically the only way they got him the football. But they do have they do have Schwartz. They do have Eli Stove back this year, who's a guy they do get involved in uh, in the screen game. So you have to be prepared for that. That's another thing that, that they do to kind of – it's kind of an extension of their run game to kind of diversify that a little bit. And it slows pass rushes down. It slows defenders down. keeps their eyes in other directions. It kind of plays into like – Messing with their eye discipline, all those things. They are going to they're going to screen us to death. And guys, they did that with a lot of effectiveness two years ago in Jordan Hare. So I fully expect to see a lot of that again this year to see some play action shots as well down the field. So Kurt, for you in your mind, what are going to be the keys? Like overall, if you're Kirby Smart, if you're Dan Lanning, what are going to be the keys to keeping this Auburn offense from kind of getting into any sort of a rhythm. Because last time we played up there, we allowed them to get into a rhythm. What are we going to have to do this year to slow them down? Um, The biggest thing is you're going to have to get pressure on Bo Nix. Do you think we have the guys to do that? I think you are. I mean, yeah, our sack numbers aren't very high, but I think we've done a good job of pressuring the quarterback to force them to get it out, um, get out of their hands in situations where they're not always most comfortable. Just like Kirby says, uh, affecting the quarterback, right? Yeah, and got- that's really what we have to do. Yeah, and we've done a good job of that. Uh, I'm with you there. For me, probably the number one thing for me, this is probably obvious, is slowing down that run game. If we are able to do that without dedicating too many bodies into the box, what we can do is force Bo Nix to beat us having to throw the football 30-plus times. If we are in that situation, I like I really like our chances. If we can do that, and that's a big if, but we've had a lot of success stopping the run throughout the year. So if we can do that again, I like our chances. Now, their wide receivers are good enough to win some battles in one-on-one. They're gonna probably going to win a couple. But we want to be able to operate with two high safety looks to really take away those vertical shots against man coverage down the field that they, that they really like to use to kind of generate some big plays in that passing game. But again, if, if we can force Bonix to beat us having to throw the ball 30 plus times, I, I feel pretty good about our chances unless we just turn the ball over a million times like we did against South Carolina. I also want to say I think tackling is going to be huge because this Auburn offense, they attack the entire field. And what they really want to do is get electric athletes in space. That is their recipe for success offensively. They did that with great effectiveness two years ago. We've got to be able to tackle in space, and we've been doing a much better job. Even Richard LeCount, Kurt, you got to admit, right, he's been doing a better job. And if we do that again, I feel good, right? The tackling is going to be a big deal in this game. Yeah, you, it will. Yeah, there's no doubt. So uh, I feel good about the matchups for our defense against this Auburn offense. It's not going to be – of course it's not going to be easy, but I, I do think there's some matchups – that favors here, especially considering how they, how they like to run the football so much, and we've been so effective in stopping the run throughout this entire season. All right, now let's look at the other side of the ball. This Auburn defense, they're averaging uh, they're giving up 334 yards a game. That's sixth in the SEC in total defense. They're fifth in yards per, or yards per play allowed at 4.75, and fourth in the league in scoring defense, giving up 17.4 points a game. Kurt, I want to start here with the Auburn defense. A lot gets made about how good this Auburn defensive line is. When you watch them play, do you see a unit that is as good as the hype suggests they are? I would or say so. I would. I like to think they are. You think they are? I think yeah. Derek Brown is. I think Derek Brown's legit. I think that dude is 100% legit. He's as good as there is in the country as an interior defensive lineman. I think he's vastly improved over where he has been the past couple of years. I think watching the past couple of years, I thought he was a little overhyped because I thought he spent way too much time on the ground. Yeah, he could be disrupted when he wanted to be, but he didn't seem to always want to be. And he was on the ground. Again, far too much for a guy that's supposed to be elite. But I think he's become that guy this year. Uh, he's 6'5", 318, big, fast, physical. And they do a really good job this year kind of moving him all over the line more than they have in years past. I've seen him play the zero tech, the one tech, on the uh, like a nose guard on the center. I've seen him play three. I've seen him play the five technique as a, like, a, like a defensive end. They move him all over the place to disrupt teams and to keep them from being able to game plan how to stop him because it's just hard when you don't know where this guy is going to line up on any given play on that offensive line. His, his size and athleticism gives him the ability to do that. I think he is legit. I think Marlon Davidson is really good against the run. Uh, I do, but I'm not sure I would call him a dominant player right now. I, I, I think he's a good player against the run. I think he's a solid pass rusher, but I'm not sure he's dominant 
I really am not. And I think Tyrone Truesdale, the guy on the interior who has actually come on, he's been more productive than I thought he would be. But a guy who has like, and this is a, why I would say to me, they're not as dominant as I think the national narrative suggests they are. Because Nick Coe is a guy who was really good for them last year. Last year, he led the team in sacks, had seven sacks, had 13 tackles for loss. This year, the dude has zero sacks and only three tackles for loss. He was a healthy scratch because Arkansas a few weeks ago after Malzahn said he, quote, didn't meet our standards in practice. He's only started one game. So to me, that that's why this Auburn Demons line isn't as good as I thought they would be coming into the year because I, I factored Nick Coe into the equation as being like a dominant force for them. He has not been that. Um, and you, don't have, you don't really have the dominant edge rushers that they've had in the past. The guy like, I don't know, Jeff Holland from a couple years ago. You got Big Cat Bryant and TD Moultrie, who they were kind of counting on as being those next big edge rushers for them. But combined, Bryant and Moultrie only have one and a half sacks and two tackles for loss between them. So I do think Derrick Brown is totally legit. He is deserving of all the praise he gets. Davidson, he's really good. I don't know if he's elite, but he's really, really good. Truthdale has been better. But the fact that Nick Coe hasn't been as good this year, not even close to as good this year, and the fact that Bryant and Moultrie haven't been those dominant edge rushers, I just, I'm not sure that. I think that they are as as good as they as the hype suggests they are. They're really good. Don't get me wrong. They're good, but I'm not sure they're quite as good as as the national narrative has them being. But as far as I'm concerned, I believe the most important matchup in this game is our rushing attack against that Auburn front seven. So, Kurt, if if we can't run the ball with any sort of success, we're gonna have a tough time leaving the planes with a victory. So, oh yeah, hundred percent. Right. I mean, we're definitely gonna have a tough time. And you you think that demons line is really good? And I think they're really good too. So what kind of success can we realistically expect to have on the ground against that Auburn front seven? Um, I mean, there you can do it. You just have to attack them the right way. Um, a couple years ago, we started doing better when we were attacking them on the edge and making people like Derek Brown run. I think that's that's what you have to do, right? Um, and maybe not like exclusively. We're gonna have to remove the tackles, of course, to keep it, keep them honest. But I think we've got, and we've done a better job of this lately. We've got, we've worked, we kind of worked this little toss pitch out of shotgun. We did, we kind of unveiled something last week that I mentioned on the recap show where we send Swift in motion, kind of on the jet sweep action, and I guess the linebacker's eyes flowing with him and watching him, and then you kind of do that little backhanded, like you revert the quarterback reverses out and gets a little backhand pitch to Harry, and we got like nine or ten yards on that play on a first down. If we can start doing more stuff like that then I think that's how you attack this Auburn rushing defense, which is a good rush defense. They're third in the league. I'll give them 112 yards a game on the ground, 3.3 yards a rush. They're 15th in opportunity rate, 27th in power success rate, 25th in stuff rate. And uh, Davidson Brown and K.J. Britt, their inside linebacker, all have at least seven tackles for loss, which is good. That's really good, guys. Because, by the way, just for comparison's sake, we don't have anyone in our defense with more than four tackles for loss. they got three guys with at least seven. So they have been they have been really good, really dis- much more disruptive than we've been up front. Now it's a different; they're coached a little bit differently. It's a different scheme, but they have been disruptive. Uh, and KJ Britt, like you mentioned, getting on the on the edges, I'm with you. KJ Britt is an inside linebacker who's really good between the tackles. He's a big physical guy, good between the tackles. But if you make him run kind of like Derek Brown, that I think can work to our advantage. The other guy they have on the inside there, alongside Britt, is Owen Papo, true freshman from Grayson. We recruited him for a while. And I'm going to end up winning the Kobe Dean, which I'm very happy with. But Popo is more of that new age hybrid guy inside linebacker. They also play as a Kobe McLean kind of uh, alternating with Popo. Those are both smaller, faster guys. Popo is 6'1, 215. McLean six foot 210. He's even smaller than Popo, if you can imagine that, if you've ever seen Popo up close. He is not a big dude. Um, I kind of, but Kurt, I, I, I think I, I like this matchup. Like, how do you see our offensive line matching up with that with that front? It's not like it was last couple of years, but I think it is this is different this year um, because they don't have as many guys up front. Where right now you really have to pay attention to Derrick Brown. Yeah, I'm with, and that's why I say I'm not sure they're as elite as I think I I thought they would be coming into the year. I don't think they have the depth. They don't have as many guys. They can't rotate them in and out like they have in years past. And I think that's kind of, that kind of plays into what we do offensively. Like we we run the football. We try to establish it early in the game, and sometimes it's not as successful. Look at the Auburn game. I look at the Kentucky game a couple weeks ago, but with our depth in the offensive line and our commitment to the run game, we just wear people down. By the second half, if you don't have great depth, you can rotate guys in and out, then you can get worn down and we start gashing you. And I, I think that could potentially happen in this game. And I think our offensive line is going to be motivated. Um, this when you when you they've been challenged at different times this year. Everyone, you know, going to the Florida game. 
you want to talk about that Florida pass rush is a lead, and you know we might have some guys that are big, but maybe a little, maybe a step slow in pass protection. And our guys answer the call, and they've heard all year about how great this Auburn defensive front is. So I think our offensive line is going to be motivated. That doesn't mean they're going to be out ready to execute, but they're going to be motivated, which is was step one as far as I'm concerned. I will say I am whoever it is that's playing center, Trey Hill, Cade Mays, whoever it's going to be. Kurt, does that not concern you when they have Derek Brown playing a zero or a shade technique at nose guard on the center? Especially if it's um, Trey Hill. You think Trey's going to play? I'm hearing that he's practicing. He, he looks like he might play on Saturday. If that's the case, then I am nervous. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am nervous about that. That's like the one matchup on our, on defense that I am I am concerned about with this Auburn defense. Because Derek Brown, he's, he's legit, guys. He is. He's playing really well. I've seen him just blow people up. I'm talking four or five yards in the backfield. And he's so quick and explosive. Can, gets his hands on linemen, can, can control them. And uh, Trey Hill, like, he's not – I don't want to say, like, he's a good player. But, like, if there's a weak link on the offensive line right now, I, I think it might – be him i think it's safe to say right kurt yeah and if he's matched up against one of the best if not the best defensive tackles in the country that could be a cause for concern that's another reason why we need to probably get the ball on the edge a little bit in the run game and before we move on and talk about the auburn secondary i do want to take a quick second to remind you guys about our very good friends at mybookie.ag mybookie has every kind of bet you guys could be looking for if you're feeling lucky about our dogs this weekend i know i'm nervous but some of you guys might have a lot more confidence than me then mybookie.ag is the place to go to lay down all your bets if you're looking for your basic spread, if you're looking for the money line bets where you just want to pick winners, if you're looking to bet halves, in-game action, prop bets, anything you're looking for, they've got you guys covered. And right now, they are offering a great deal where if you join right now at this moment, my bookie, they're going to match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, I'm not great at math, but I think that means you get an extra $1,000 in absolutely free money to play with. Tough to beat that deal, guys. All you have to do is use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code OVERTIME to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. But uh, what about the Auburn secondary? We, obviously, we had some ups and downs. We have had some ups and downs in the passing game this season. It's hard for me to imagine that we're just going to run wild on this Auburn defense. I think we're going to have some success, especially if we stay committed to it like we normally do. And as, as long as we don't get behind and have to abandon the run game. So to win this game, if we're not going to run wild on them, have, maybe have some success but not run wild, I think we're going to have to be able to throw it effectively. So, Kurt, how do we – you mentioned earlier in the show you think there are some holes in that back end. How do we match up with their secondary? I think it's fair. I think it's very close to even. The thing is they're not as physical and long as most other teams. At the quarterback position? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, if, if you look at, like, Noah Igbenogany, he's probably their best cornerback. Javaris Davis, he's solid on the other side. But you're right. Like, they're not as big and long. They're quick. Um, they're good. They, they play a lot of press man coverage on the outside. So they're going to have some opportunity, especially with how we run the football. You know we're going to get some press man looks out there. Somebody's going to have man coverage. And we're going to have to try to take advantage of that. If we can, I like our chances in this game. But we'll see. We've been up and down there. I, it's hard to know, especially like Lawrence Cager. His health is going to be a big factor in this game. But you're, you're right. I mean, look, we haven't been great against the pass. They haven't been great. Against, they haven't been great defending. Or we haven't been great throwing the ball. They haven't been great against the pass either. They're ninth in the SEC, giving up 221 yards a game. They're middle of the pack in explosive plays. Uh, they're fifth in yards per allowed, allowing, allowing six yards per completion. They're sixth in uh, pass plays allowed of 20-plus yards. So to me, they're, they're they're perfectly average against the pass. They're kind of holding teams. You look at their their numbers against teams and like where those teams rank um, game by game in, in passing offense. They're holding teams to write about their average passing success. Um, but they are second in the SEC in sacks, just behind Florida but only 52nd nationally in sack rate. Marlon Davidson's their leading sack sack artist on the season. got four and a half sacks. Derek Brown's right behind him with four. Um, so if you look at this at this Auburn secondary in the pass rush equation factor in there as well, I do think that we can have some success. One spot that I would really focus on, two spots actually. I think, they're, I think it's very similar to the Florida game. I think they're vulnerable at star with Christian Tutt, and I think they're also vulnerable in pass coverage with their safeties, whether it's Jeremiah Denson or Daniel Thomas, the safety, those guys 
our physical safeties who are really good in run support, but kind of like Florida safeties who are, who are also good in run support. I think those guys can be liabilities in coverage, especially if we get our best playmakers mashed up on those guys. If we, I don't know, like here's a thought, let's move Lawrence Cager or George Pickens inside the slot. Let's move them around a little bit, get them mashed up on either a star or a linebacker or a safety. And those are matchups that we can win. Get, get our running backs mashed up on those guys. We can win those matchups. So if we can scheme it the right way, I think we can take advantage of some of their guys in the secondary. So that's kind of how I would go about attacking them. But Kurt, if you're James Coley, how do you plan? Like overall, whether it's you know running game, pass game, how do you? What what is your game plan to attack this Auburn defense? I mean, well, first off, we mentioned attacking them on the edge, but also keeping them honest up the middle. But we're gonna have to use um, passing on early downs to try to get them. You know, especially use their over aggressiveness against them as we are against most teams because they they are going to settle in and think we're going to run. So we're going to have to use that to our advantage. Um, but at the same time, we're also going to have to, I think, honestly, use quick passes, try to get the ball out of our hands, get them in space. Um, we can't run a lot of these slow developing plays unless we're moving the pocket and protecting Jake. Is that because of the pass rush abilities? Yeah. And, and just in general, I think that our players aren't the quickest. So the, the slower developing plays aren't always the best for us. Yeah. I, I will say I took a little bit, of encouragement from the Florida game and how we were able to protect Jake, but the the Auburn pass rush is different than Florida's pass rush. They don't have like the uh, the elite quick edge rushers that Florida has with guys like Grenard and Zanaga. Zanaga also plays inside a little bit, but he's he's more of an edge guy, especially in pass rush, situ- pass rush situations. But they have like bigger, more physical guys, like big dudes that can also move. And Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson. So it's kind of a different matchup. But I actually I might like that matchup better for us. Our line, the story on them is they're big but maybe not as quick as some of those other guys. So if if Auburn has success with their size in the pass rush, I think that actually might work into our advantage here. Those guys are athletic too, don't get me wrong, but I don't know if they have the profile of guys that have given us more trouble this year in pass protection. I think in general, when you look at this Auburn defense, they have a very similar profile to the Florida defense. They have a couple of very good to elite defenders on that defensive line that can cause havoc. But I think they have a couple of other filler pieces on the defensive line, kind of like Florida did. They're pretty good at inside linebacker, but maybe not elite with their top player at that position, kind of a liability in space. They're good at corner with strong run-supporting safeties who are also, in my opinion, liabilities in coverage. So I think there's a, there's, there's a similar profile there, and we had a good amount of success against that Florida defense. So I think we can take some lessons from that game. But don't get me wrong. Like, we can't get away from who we are. We still have to run the football, even if it's tough sledding early in this game. And it probably will be tough sledding. They're going to be motivated and selling out to stop the run. That's what every single team does. But we have to stay committed as long as we don't get behind, which I think is a big key in this game. We have to be willing to attack through the air on early standard downs. Uh, you know, go back to that Florida game, talking about the similar profiles. We threw the ball 12 times on 22 first opportunities against Florida, including on that 52-yard touchdown pass to Cage that kind of sealed the game. Um, so, I, And I also think I mentioned this a little bit earlier. We need a scheme to get our running backs involved in the passing game on guys like K.J. Britt and guys like Big Cat Bryant and Nick Coe when they're in the game and dropping the coverage, which they will. Like those, They play those guys outside linebacker, and they will drop them into coverage at times. So I think that's a, a, an advantage that we can take a, that, that we could exploit if we just choose to and scheme it that way in this game. And I also like to see us attack between the hashes to get favorable matchups against this against the safeties who are just not as dominant, not as good in pass coverage. So that's kind of how I would go about doing this. All right, before we get out of here, we want to do our 3-2-1 countdown that we always do each and every week on the preview show where we give you three reasons to be confident in our chances, two causes for concern, and one key to the game. So, Kerr, I'm going to let you start us off here, my man. What three reasons do we have in your mind to be confident in our chances against the Auburn Tigers this weekend? Um, well, once again, I have to go with desperation because since we've lost early, earlier in the season, if we want to accomplish our ultimate goal, then we can't afford to lose anymore. Um, number two, I'm going to go with our defense. I think you always have to feel some type of confidence with our defense right now, the way they've been playing. And then number three, maybe... Jake from because I think this time around, especially going to this atmosphere, maybe he's a little bit more experienced and a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I like all three of those. I have I have Jake from as as one of my three things as well. And some of the Jake from haters might not agree with that, but that's okay. We both you and I both agree on that one, Kurt. But for me, uh, my three reasons to be confident. Number one, and this might sound kind of like counterintuitive, but I, I believe this. I think our offensive strength, which is our offensive line and our run game, matches up with their defensive strength. And you might say, well, why is that a reason to be confident? Uh, to me, the reason I'm confident in that is because 
it's not a mismatch, right? Like if like Auburn's defensive line is a mismatch against most teams, it's a major advantage they have in games uh, almost each and every week. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm not going to say that we're just going to run the ball down their throats. I'm not going to say that Auburn's line is going to win every single battle. It's not going to happen. But I think we can win enough of them. And I think that we can at least pull even and, and call this a draw at the very least against a very good Auburn defensive front, that front seven in their run game. So the fact that this is not a mismatch, especially when, again, like I'll just reiterate it. I'm not sure their overall defensive line is as dominant as everyone suggests it is. And, our, and maybe Auburn's line is not as dominant as everyone thinks it is either. But still, I don't think this is a mismatch, which I think is going to play into our advantage in this game. Number two, I think that we have the ability. I mentioned it earlier. I think one of the keys this game is is forcing Bo Nix to beat us with his arm. I think with what we do defensively, how good we are at slowing down the run game, I think that we have the ability to make them one-dimensional enough on offense to force Bo Nix to beat us with his arm. And if we can do that, I'm not sure Bo Nix can do that. I know he's been better at home. But he, uh, against good defense, as I laid out earlier in the show, has not been very good. And, guys, I say what you want about our team. Whether you think we should be in the top four or not, we got a really good defense. And I, I think we have at least a, a very good shot of, of forcing Knicks to be the guy that's going to be us. And if he does, then, you know, tip your cat to him, man. Um, can't stop everything. But I think you got to take away the run game and force him to beat force him to beat us. And I'm just not sure if we'll be able to do that if we get him in that situation. And then number three for me, as you mentioned there, Curtis, Jake Fromm. And for me, what I'm going to say about Jake Fromm, I think the Jake Fromm bounce back is a real thing. Typically, if you look back at his career, he hasn't had a ton of back games. I know a lot of people like to make out every, they basically just blow every single game that where he doesn't perform at an elite level, like completely, I don't say out of proportion, they just magnify it. Um, but when he has those games, usually once, maybe twice a year, you know, last year was LSU, a little bit against Texas. I don't think he was that bad against Texas. Offensively, we just couldn't do much of anything. I guess that includes him a little bit. Uh, but typically when he's had a bad game, he bounces back the next week in big-time form. Go back to last year, uh, it was LSU. He had a horrific game, one of the worst of his career. And he comes back against Florida when everyone's doubting him. People talking about Justin Fields getting more snaps, people calling for him. And Fromm comes out and just balls out against Florida. Same exact thing this year. You know, terrible game in South Carolina. I know there's the Kentucky game between that. Didn't play all that well in that game because we couldn't throw the ball in the rain. But comes back after the bye week against Florida and bounces back with maybe the best game of his career. And, and, and if you factor in the, the moment and the situation, all of that. So I, I think the Jake Fromm bounce back is a real thing. I really believe that. And you know what? He wasn't really good. We talked about that in the recap show. He wasn't great against Missouri. He missed some throws. Only 13 of 29 passing. Um, wasn't a disaster, but wasn't great either. He was, he was I don't want to say a disaster against South Carolina, South Carolina, but closer to that. But uh, he, he wasn't at his best last week. And you're hearing more people talk about oh, Jake Fromm is not as good as everyone says he is. And I, I think this is a situation where Jake is going to bounce back um, in a big way again on the road in a big moment. I believe that. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I feel pretty good about that if you look at how it's kind of gone down through the past couple of years. Uh, all right, Kurt, two causes for concern. What are two things that give you some concern in this matchup? Well, last time we were that Jordan here. It's got to make you nervous. Um, of course. And then number two, just inconsistencies with off the offense. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally with you on uh, the inconsistencies. That's That's been concerning, especially when you have a, an Auburn defense. That's not only not elite, but but still really good. Those are very fair points. For me, and these are some stats, that I, especially this first one's kind of like, whoa. And I've talked about this all year, I've, and I've tried to stay away from it on this show because I feel like I've been talking about it all year because it's it's been a real thing. But I've been talking about all those teams – that are facing us coming off of buys. And it's just, it's been a story all year. And this is the last one, but Gus Malzahn is eight and O at Auburn coming off of a bye week. That is not good news for us. I know it's a different game, different team. I know I get all that, everything I said at the beginning of the show, but like that's uh that, that eight. No, that's a, that's not a small sample size. I mean, that's kind of a trend at this point. So that to me is concerning. Come with the bye week. Uh, Malzahn's offense is really not all that complicated, but when he's given time off a of bye week, he usually has some new wrinkles that teams haven't seen, and you gotta you gotta kind of withstand that storm the first cu- the first quarter or two, and then go into halftime and make some adjustments. So that's my concern is like being able to withstand the storm or some of the new adjustments that he's gonna have in there, some of the new wrinkles in the offense. Because eight no out, out of the bye week for Gus Malzahn, I mean that's that's legit. And then the other th- cause for concern for me is, is Bo Nix. I just mentioned. In the, in the last segment here, the, the three reasons to be confident. that I, I want to put the ball in Bo Nix's hands. But at the same time, he has been a different quarterback at home. You have, you have to at least think about that. On the road, 
He's completing 51.2% of his passes. Now, if you take the Arkansas game out of it, because we probably should, because Arkansas is just god-awful. Um, so if you take the Arkansas game out of it, which actually put us some decent numbers on the road against them coming off a of bye week. But out of, outside of that game, in his road games, he's completing 46.3% of his passes. But as a total, 51.2% of the passes on the road, only 151 yards a game and only 5.7 yards per attempt. He's been very bad outside of Auburn, Alabama. At home, however, he's been much better, completing 67.7% of his passes for 260 yards a game and 8.8 yards per attempt. So a very different quarterback at home. No, he has not faced elite defenses at home. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's against elite defenses, like you know, on the road at Florida, against um, LSU and Baton Rouge, and against Oregon on, at a neutral site. Yeah, those were the road games. Also have to be the best defenses he's faced. So at home, he hasn't faced defenses like that. He's faced Ole Miss and Tulane and, and, and Mississippi State. So maybe it's more so he hasn't played good defenses at home. It'll be different this 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 week with a good defense he's faced. But at home, he's been a different quarterback. So that's one thing. Like I say, put it in his, in his hands and force him to beat us. But like he's been pretty good at home. That's uh, at least a little bit concerning there. All right, Curtin. Finally, what is your one key to winning this game? Um. Honestly, we have to win on early downs. That's definitely a key um, because, like, for us, our offense to function at the optimum level, we have to stay ahead of the chains. And we need to attack on early downs. Like I mentioned against Florida, we did a really good job of that. I felt like 12 out of 22 first down since we throw the football. So I, I'm with you. Stay ahead of the chains, attack on first down, be efficient, be effective on first down, and um, and put our offense in, in a situation where we can be successful. I do agree with that. And for me, I mentioned this a couple times, I think it's key for us guys to start – fast in this game we cannot afford to get behind look at some of the games recently over the past couple of years that we have lost we haven't lost many but the ones we have one of the common themes is we get down early we don't particularly play well from behind uh, in jordan Hare in 2017 and that blowout we did get out to a seven nothing lead but it was all downhill from there auburn was up 16 seven and a half then 23 seven after miko fumbled the punt after we got stopped to open the second half and then it just Kind of steamrolled after that. LSU, we were down 16 nothing in the half, and uh, we couldn't quite make it back from that deficit. Texas in the Sugar Bowl, and we were down 17 nothing seven seconds in the second quarter, and we couldn't make it back. And we tried to come back, but it was too little, too late. We're not a great team playing from behind. We are much more of a front-running type team because we can just kind of do a boa constrictor and kind of wrap, wrap ourselves around you to squeeze you to death. So it's critical, especially on the road against Auburn, to get out to a fast start. You want to take the crowd out of the game. Because last time, Kurt, you were there with me. That crowd got out of hand because they got off to that fast start. So we need to go out and just take the air of that stadium, be able to play from ahead. And uh, if we can do that, I-, I think I like our chances again to win this football game. We'll see. There's a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of directions you go with the key to the game. But to me, that's a common theme. It's one of the losses we've had the past couple years. Got to start fast. But all right, guys, that does it for us here on the Glory UJ podcast. We always appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us here. Uh, we'll be back later in the week for our Picks of the Week show. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.